Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the You Suck at Marketing podcast, uh, where we try to help you not suck so much at marketing. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. What, what's our focus, really? Are we focusing on demand generation, growth marketing? I think, I think we're focusing on both of those, and then also operational and, and kind of people management as well. All over the place. The things that we find really interesting about, about companies, about getting business, and about making things essentially work as, as well and efficiently as possible. Yeah, man. We just love marketing. I think that's the best way to put it. But, but who are we, really? Mm, good question. Sometimes I ask myself that on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we are your two hosts. Uh, I'm Aaron Burke. And I'm John Ledoux. John, why don't, you, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? I can do a quick bit. Uh, I've got 10 years of demand gen experience, uh, full stack marketing. Uh, I've got my own consulting practice, Ledoux Consulting. Uh, you can go to johnledoux.com. It'll take you right to my LinkedIn page. I've worked with probably about 40 to 50 companies on consulting uh, throughout my career. So I've seen a lot and I hope to bring that experience to help everybody that's listening to this podcast uh, pick up on some great tidbits of information. That was a good pitch. And uh, how about yourself, Aaron? Uh, well, I'm John's friend. <laughs> you are a very good friend. We've known each other for, geez, 15 years now, uh, but also a fantastic marketer. So give the crowd a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, well, I actually, before getting into marketing, I was in field sales. So I've been field sales. I've been in marketing for uh, seven, eight years now. And not only that, but I've actually been a both a sales and marketing manager. Which I think brings a lot of value to this podcast because... The sales angle is one that's oftentimes missing from the marketing conversation. And let's be honest, it's probably the most important piece to this whole thing. Right? People talk a lot of times about a disconnect between sales and marketing. And, you know, in my experience, I didn't find that disconnect because I was kind of working on the two sides of things. But uh, I know how important it is to make sure that there is that alignment. So that's that's kind of an interesting topic, maybe for uh, maybe for today, maybe for sometime later. Yeah, I think that's a really good topic to cover. And um you know, whenever I talk to marketers, I think it's it's always good to have the sales angle because uh, marketing has gotten so much power in the last 10, 15 years that they tend to just think inside the box. So uh, our goal here with the podcast is try to get out of, out of that box and uh, think about uh, your approach to marketing, your approach to sales as just benefiting the entire organization. So this is our premiere episode of the show. Pretty exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, we've been working yeah. up to this for a long time, and, <laughs> and we're finally hitting the ground running. Uh, so it's a little bit of experimentation with, with uh, some formula behind that. Uh, so our goal here, especially today, is to, to dive into the nuance and, and help you understand why optimizing it at every level is, is going to help the organization really accelerate. Because uh, the incremental growth at each stage is, is going to be what takes you to the next level, not the big silver bullet that's just going to blast into the, the next level of revenue for the company. Yeah, which actually kind of segues a little bit. I'm not going to focus on this too much today, but one of my favorite topics, which is essentially 1% improvement, right? I love looking at not looking at an organization. There's almost never going to be that, that one key thing that's going to provide amazing amounts of improvement. Most of the time, what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to look at many different factors and you're going to put small improvements in those and those small improvements are going to aggregate into um, really significant improvements overall for the company. I feel and, like I've heard you talk great. about this before and uh, this concept of, of 1% improvement at each stage. Where did you, where did you come up with this? 
Well, it's definitely not. It's definitely not my thing. It's definitely <laughs> not my idea. Uh, Aaron, the inventor of the one percent, uh, and not the one percent that anybody on the the the, the podcast might be thinking about it. Um, but one percent efficiency, one percent growth. No, there's a, there's a really cool example of how um, the British cycling team was able to look at every different uh, facet of what they were doing as a team, not just pedal faster on your bike, but but how they were training, how they were sleeping, how they were eating. And they looked at how they could make small little improvements. And they went from essentially taking, I'm taking right now this long story and making it very short. But they went from this underwhelming, underperforming team to a gold medal winning cycling team just based on focusing on these small improvements. And when you extend that to an organization, um, that's where you can actually see significant improvement and significant growth uh, in how an organization operates. And then how you're able to get leads, how you're able to close sales, how you're able to drive revenue. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, uh, let's say, how the, the British cycling team did this? What were the what were the kind of things that they were looking at, and let's let's open it up to, to extrapolate into how that applies uh, in the business world. All right. Um, so one specific example is um, they actually examined how everyone was sleeping, and they looked at sleep patterns, and they did they did something they did some interesting things with that, where they actually focused on making sure that everyone had the ideal bed set up for them, which seems silly, right? I mean, you go sleep somewhere, whatever, but you know, when you're traveling, there's hotels with different beds and different pillows. Um, some people like a firmer pillow, some people like a softer pillow. What, what kind of pillow do you like, Aaron? I like a I like a medium firm pillow. <laughs> I think I do too, I'm a stomach sleeper, so. Well, it has to be cool, so you know, I'm, I'm a pillow flipper in the warm <laughs> yeah. summer months. Um, which is actually, I think that's one of the things they focused on too, is making sure the pillows were cool. But this is just an example. They they made sure that people brought their own pillows, so they had the ideal pillow set up. And it, it sounds it sounds like nothing. It sounds like so trivial to have a nice pillow. But in fact, by having these the pillows that were ideal for them, they were getting slightly better sleep. And maybe it's maybe you're only getting an extra twenty minutes of that restorative sleep, but when you're exercising really hard, getting an extra 20 minutes of restorative sleep can make sure that your body's recovering and can improve your overall performance. You know, it's not directly linked to pedaling faster or pedaling harder, but this was just one of those many things that they did at every phase to ensure that the athletes could perform at their best. And it sounds like they were doing this optimization pretty much at every touch point. Exactly. And of course they had to they had to look at touch points, right? I mean, the very first step here was to say, what are the different factors that could contribute to performance, right? And they said, sleep. Obviously, we know the amount of sleep, but also the quality of sleep. That was just one of the things that they did in this initial phase, which to take a really good, in-depth, solid look at all of the factors that could determine how they were performing. And once they were able to, once they, once they saw what all these factors were, only then were they able to figure out how to optimize those factors? Right? And it, it sounds like um, it sounds like the, something that we that we preach in in the marketing space, it particularly as metrics have become more um, uh, more salient in, in the organization. Mm-hmm. But one of the challenges with the way companies operate versus what it sounds like you're describing is uh, it sounds like there's multiple players involved in, in the companies and, and they each are looking at just the metrics that kind of affect themselves and affect their organizations. And uh, it, it's it's a frustration as a consultant to come in and see something like that happen where there's misalignment across teams. 
um, because there isn't anybody that really wants to own anything across the organization. And it kind of, well, I think a lot of the time you don't even have access to the metrics that other teams or other departments are using. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. So, so how do you how do you take a a high level view of what it's important for your organization when you you're siloed? Well, I think in large part it it has to do with uh, a co- combination of things, right? Uh, there's ego involved. Um, there's ownership, and hey, I don't I don't building need to be little re- fiefdoms. Yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't need to be responsible for your organization because that's what you're compensated on. This is what you do, and, and they tend to look at they tend to look at metrics in such a short sighted manner because really, at the end of the day, this is all about the organization and the success of the organization, and so. Uh, there's a big time communication breakdown that tends to happen between teams. Um, but the team, like the British cycling team, is, is just that. It's, it's one team. And if you're going to win as an organization or as the British cycling team, you kind of need to look at it holistically across across the entire uh, organization. And uh, that kind of brings up this notion of, of communication and uh, is there somebody driving best practices within the organization? Um, I don't know what your experience is like because it sounds like you have, you've been in sales, dedicated sales role. You've been in kind of both marketing and sales leadership role, uh, which is fantastic because you get to define it and then you see it across the organization. Um, and then you've been in that dedicated marketing role. And I've, I've seen it as well. We're just like, there's this insane breakdown. How do you bridge that gap? Like where does, where does the bridge kind of come in and, and how can we continue to foster relationships across organizationally where, um, where we're, we're looking at one set of metrics and saying, this is what the performance of the business is. Well, I guess I think probably the way most businesses approach this is a set of metrics they look at, especially if you're a publicly traded company is they look at your sales and your revenue and your improvement year over year. That's kind of all that matters at the end of the day, right? Is the, is the company making money? Yeah. Well, is the company making money? Is the company profitable? Yeah. Right. Um, but in a, in a large organization, it's very difficult to know how much of a specific impact that you had in that. Right? I mean, I've been in a position as a global mark- marketer where I could see from my products, I could see exactly how much revenue my products were making. Right? Yeah. Um, and I could see, we could see at a regional level how much those products were, sell- were selling and how much they were making. Um, a lot harder to quantify, actually, my contribution to that as a marketer. Yeah. How much, how much is, is what I'm doing driving that increase in revenue, right? And then, of course, it's very also hard to see from a higher level in, in an organization, okay, if the same salespeople that are selling my products are selling other products as well, if they're doing better with my products, is that because they're devoting more time to that and they're not devoting as much time to the other products? Yeah. And so that's good for me and in, in my metrics as a marketer, but it might actually not be good for the organization overall as a whole. Sounds like you need to lobby a little bit as well. <laughs> um, but but it, from what it sounds like, it sounds like there's two layers of metrics. There's, there's what everybody looks at in the organization, and then there's uh, the individual ownership of how do you baseline against your performance as, as an individual contributor. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then how that bubbles up. So you're talking about um, you know, the individual that was involved in, in optimizing sleep patterns uh, for the British racing team, um, that person probably looks at their metric as in duration and quality of sleep. And there's probably some sort of wearable device that they can put on uh, that will help them measure that. Whether the difference is dramatic or it's simply really small and incremental, 
um, there is a measurable impact there. And as you combine all of these these slight incremental measurable changes that are creating a lift um, in terms of the speed and efficiency of the cyclists, uh, you kind of dish out like maybe not a direct proportionality of who is invested and involved at an individual contributor level, but just as, as the team is performing, a team performance. Um, and this is why I do think they're, the ownership at the executive level or at the director level is extremely important because there does need to be somebody who is responsible for quarterbacking the individual contributors. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, just like you said, I've been, been in a position where I was the one that was able to set the metrics. Mm-hmm. And then I was also one responsible for making sure that, that we hit those metrics. Did you ever run into... Did you ever run into inertia around defining or redefining metrics within the organization? Of course. Yeah. Of course, right? Well, and like, how do you how do you manage that? Well, so, you know, it's it's one of those big things in an organization, right? You have certain metrics that you measure. And it requires someone to question them. It requires yeah. someone to look at them and say, why are we measuring this? Yeah. You know? Are, is it, we, is it usually... are, we, are we doing this because we've always done it? Yeah. Or, or, or is there a way that we could do this better? Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing that's interesting is that you can actually get in, there can be organizational inertia in terms of measuring things, and, and there can also be personal inertia. You can at one point say, hey, these are things that we want to measure, and a, a year or two can go by, and maybe those aren't the right things to measure anymore. Yeah. But you're the one that put those metrics in place. Like, So you're kind yeah. of, you have to have the openness and the willingness to, to question yourself. And to actually look at things and say, did I make the right decision when I decided to measure those in the first place? Or, or maybe I did, but maybe things have changed and we need to change what we're looking at. Is that a, is that a top-down approach or is that uh, like a, a, a middle ground approach where we're getting buy-in from the individual contributors that says, hey, we buy into this notion that we're going to track against this because at the end of the day, as executive leadership, obviously, you want to be able to define metrics that everybody gets on board with because six months down the road when you're doing um, your reviews, right, and you're holding everybody accountable, you don't want people coming up to you and saying, yeah, but that metric isn't necessarily something that totally pertains to me. Yeah. Oh, we, we're, uh, we're covering a lot of ground today. <laughs> it's just, we're like 1% improvement and like funnels and pipelines and stuff. Um, you know, I'm a... I'm an incredibly strong believer in in having to get buy-in from everyone, right? It's kind of the moral of this story. No right? matter who they are, um, if you get buy-in from someone in your organization, um, the chance that they perform at a high level just increases. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, and the other thing is, especially in, in large, complex organizations. You as an executive, there's no way that you're going to have enough knowledge and insight in what, into what's going on to be able to to just say, this is what we need to measure. Uh, I mean, you can say that at a very high level. Yeah. But really, or you've you know you've you've kind of brought it with you from somewhere else that you're. This is kind of setting the standard. But yeah, I mean, you can you can say overall, I think this is what we need to look at. But you need to figure out exactly what's right for your organization. Yeah. And the the only way to do that at a, at a large complex organization is to make sure that you have input from all those people um, that are closer to the endpoint. Right? Yeah. And there's two, two, there's two reasons for that. One, um, it's going to help you make better decisions. You're going to get just knowledge that you didn't have before, and that's going to help you make a better decision. And two, um, you're going to get everyone feeling like they are listened to, yep. that they're contributing, 
And that's going to lead to better buy-in when the final metrics are actually put in place. Because you want everyone to say, okay, here's what I'm, here's what I'm being measured on. And you want them to feel like they had a say in that. And they're going to say, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm, you want people to be glad that they're being measured on these specific things because they also believe that those are things that are going to lead to ultimate success for the for the business and the company. Right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that I like to do is uh, when I was always in the leadership position was uh, kind of take a collaborative approach to say, all right, uh, content writer, like what are what are some of the metrics that you feel like we should track you against? Um, first of all, it's I think it's really important if somebody's a thought leader in their space, no matter what level of individual contributor they're in, uh, we want to be able to say that. Obviously, yeah, you had a, a, a part in that, um, and then and then create a baseline. You know, what is reasonable? What is a reasonable expectation to arise from that? And then and then bring in another level of consideration that says, oh, should we also consider these metrics as well um, at the individual contributor level, so that you do get that buy-in? And the buy-in, obviously, extremely important. And I think a lot of this, just in general, in the organization, comes down to communication and the ability for teams to to communicate across the board. And I have seen some really nasty cultures in that there is no communication across the board. I've seen some really fantastic cultures where uh, there's over-communication. And I think over-communication uh, is, is a much better approach than under-communication, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Because uh, generally, if there's under-communication... Not, not over-sharing. Not over-sharing. <laughs> not over-sharing. Uh, there's a huge difference. Um, but, but over communication in that, um, bring at least at the start, bringing the right people into the room so that, uh, everybody feels like they have been involved. So that six months down the road, everybody that was involved can say, yeah, we own this. This is what we attract to. This is what we agreed upon. And if you're in a more agile environment where you can shift, um, that, everybody understands why there's a shift happening and that it's not detrimental to anybody's individual role. And, and as you're moving towards that, there's no, unless there's serious dramatic underperformance at the metrics level, nobody's heads are going to roll because the metrics defined weren't necessarily perfect for the organization. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Like one of, one of my key tenants as a, as a consultant is to come in in full defense of the marketing organization and try to make sure that I'm in, defense and and I'm enabling the executive leadership so that they are fully protected that they go into these meetings either with the CEO or the the EVP or even when they're talking to their team that they're bulletproof and uh, I, I think that's really really important but that starts with communication so so we talked a little bit about kind of at a very high level like setting metrics figuring out what those metrics are how to get input from your from your organization for your teams on how to do that and then tying that back to then figuring out the improvements right i mean once you have those metrics set once you kind of figure those out you've got buy-in from everyone now the next step is to actually focus on how you can actually get improvement there and the great thing about getting input from individual contributors is that they're the ones that are ultimately going to have ownership of those metrics right so now they're the ones that know what these metrics are Mm -hmm. they've helped set them they're the ones Absolutely. that are going to have the best insight into how you go about improving those. Um, so I want to go back to this, this idea of, um, you know, you, you're a consultant, you go in and you help organizations figure out how to uh, basically increase how well they're doing in terms of marketing yep. um, in many different facets in many different areas. And so I want to go back to 
to metric setting. And since we've talked a high level, I, I would really love to, if you could talk a little bit more about about that specifically, and if you can share any not specific details of, of, of a company that you work with, but maybe you can give us some example of how you can actually, how you've gone about making sure that those are, are done in the right way. One of the great things about being a consultant is that you kind of elevate yourself out of the trees, right? You, you can see the forest and uh, you're kind of like the doctor a little bit, that marketing doctor that comes in and you've got this, from years and years of experience, you bring in this really great level of intuition. That's, that's- that's too many analogies. You had the forest with <laughs> trees analogies, then you had the doctor analogy. Yeah. I just I'm, I'm a doctor of forests. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Every once just, in a while. Let's just stick to one analogy yeah. at a time. <laughs> so, so, so one of the great things about that is you come in with this level of intuition, right? You got to figure out what, what are the right questions to start asking and who are the right people to get involved. And maybe there's a breakdown in a few different areas. Is there a breakdown in communication? Right. Let's work on getting communication alignment going. And then is there a breakdown in process? Process is a big piece of this optimization. Right. Um, And then is there a breakdown in conversion and conversion optimization, both from a, a top of funnel perspective and then at each and every stage of the pipeline. And so I've got I've got a really great client who um, has done a really, really fantastic job of of kind of figuring out where revenue in the business is coming from and uh, a certain level of revenue optimization around the product end of things and trying to sort out how to extract as much revenue as they can out of each and every customer that comes in. And, and they, they do a pretty good job at that. Um, and we've put in some really great reporting platforms to help them optimize at each stage of the process. So you, you do this really great job of defining what the funnel looks like. And I know everybody talks about, oh, it's not a funnel anymore. The funnel is old school. I throw that out the window because... Uh, if you're going to optimize around something, you need to pick something that is relatively hard and fast for you to work from. And so we look at the funnel and we spread the funnel out and say, at each stage, is there anything glaring? Is there any bottlenecks along the way? So is there something broken down in the sales lead uh, handoff process? You look at the low-hanging fruit first. Yeah, we're looking at the low-hanging fruit to try to figure out, is there something bigger happening at play here? And then... Once you come up with a few answers around, is there something bigger happening here? Um, you can really start to break it down even further. And, and a lot of that happens operationally. So you've done a good job in your CRM or your marketing automation platform of making sure that you're enabling the sales organization at every step of, of the funnel. And the same thing with the marketing organization or at every step of the funnel to give them an opportunity to close the feedback loop so that you have really great answers around what could be the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Where's the where's the mm-hmm. qu- qualitative breakdown in the funnel? And then you go, okay, well, we, we think we've got those metrics dialed in and we're getting the answers that we need. Let's continue to move up funnel to make sure that we're not having a overall prospect lead quality issue coming into the funnel. And as you move further and further up the funnel, your metrics start to get much more diverse because now you're talking about moving into channel measurement and you're looking at like, yeah, where the heck are sure. people coming from? And uh, are certain partners generating better quality prospects for your company than, you know, other channels that you might be leveraging? And it's really easy to, by default, as as a marketing person who doesn't truly understand how to break down um, from start to finish a go-to-market strategy, to just say, oh, we should just advertise in all these different uh, channels. Um, But if you do that and you don't have a really good set of metrics to come along with that, then you don't understand where the breakdown in quality is coming from. And so 
pick a few channels that work really well. And uh, that's something that I've worked on with a few of my clients already. Uh, pick a few channels that work really well and then d get deep into the metrics in each one of those. Figure out figure out why they're working so well. Exactly. It, it helps you figure out why they're working so well. It helps you baseline on optimization so that you can tweak that 1% out of there if you need to. I mean, heck, I, I've got a few clients that are generating four or 500 leads a day, right? 1%, 2% difference in that could have a significant impact on the business because uh, from a qualitative perspective, that could give you one or two leads that end up being your biggest hitters, right? Because obviously the 80-20 rule often applies to, to companies as well, right? 20% of your, your prospects are generating 80% of your business. So you, you start getting into areas that a lot of people get uncomfortable with. Google Analytics, for example, right? You, you're moving out of the CRM at this point. Which I don't understand. I love diving into Google Analytics and looking at those numbers. Google Analytics is a fantastic way to, to, to do conversion optimization, um, but you got to get into the nuance. And you got to love getting into the nuance, and you can't be risk averse. Um, you know, I see a lot of folks uh, at, at clients that are very risk averse and they're, they're, they're less apt to take on, um, you know, bigger metrics. They're less apt to take on metrics that maybe they don't necessarily agree with because they don't understand it. Um, but that's where kind of the rubber meets the road. Uh, if you're looking at, you know, you know, things like, uh, um, you know, conversion rates, for example, on a landing page, uh, where are you going to get that information from? You can get it from Optimizely. You can use Unbounce if you're using, you know, some sort of external landing page provider, but you can get it out of Google as well and track the path all the way from start to finish if you're, if you're doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when we talk about metrics, I try to, I try to evaluate where a client is in their maturity of measuring, right? What what do we need to start with that's going to help them get an understanding of the bigger picture, and then at the more micro level, get an understanding of what's happening at the individual contributor level. How often do you find it that you go to a client and they have a lot of analytics or metrics put in place, and they are looking at things. Um, but they're not looking at the right things or it wasn't the way that it was initially set up isn't working for their, where they are right now. Yeah. I mean, there's a combination of things that come into play there. Um, half the time the metrics are in place because somebody didn't understand what they're measuring or how to measure it. So they invent something or they're out reading some <laughs> stuff on the internet. You know? And I look at this and I say, why are you even measuring this? What's, what's the intent? What's the goal? And, and, not every client understands how to put the right metrics package together. Um, the other one is a lot of clients don't understand how to influence the metrics they're looking at because they, they don't have a holistic perspective. And yeah, like, what's the point of tracking metric if you don't feel like you can actually push it at all? Exactly. Uh, sometimes you're looking at it to evaluate health and macro trends, which is okay, but you never want to broadcast that to the organization. You're using it to try to build basic intuition about the performance of the business, but it, it should highlight something for you. Whatever it's highlighting is kind of up in the air based on the company. The other one is a, a lot of, especially most of my clients are at the mid-market level. Um, and so the individual contributors tend to have come from a role in which they were pigeonholed into something. You know, they were just the email marketer or they were just the content person. And, and, uh, in this day where talent is difficult, more and more difficult to find, particularly in the Bay Area, there's not like a robust amount of talent available. Um, folks within the company are going to have to wear a lot of different hats. And when you make somebody wear a lot of different hats, 
they get out of their comfort zone. And so either the metrics are incomplete or they don't understand what the impact is because they don't understand how what came before them and what's coming after them in terms of their fit in the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I try to do as a consultant, for example, is to try to help uh, everybody within the company understand either via osmosis or direct education on why this metric is important and why they are uh, having an impact on the company. A, a fine example is um, designers. Designers within the company, it's so sad to me that I see designers within an organization treated purely as a service. But designers have a very important impact, both from a brand design perspective and from a conversion rate optimization perspective, right? You know, from everything from button colors to the fonts to everything. Uh, and most importantly, to, in today's world, the concept of user experience designed conversion rate optimization, right? We're, we're product and, and uh Absolutely. And website, right? I think designers that have, if, if you show me a, a talented designer, but also a talented designer who has even just a baseline knowledge and understanding of, of conversion and A-B testing and designing for you know users and wanting to get them to convert, yep. that, that person becomes so much more valuable. It's and, huge. And as a marketer, you can actually talk to them about the things that you yeah have and they'll feel a about. lot better about their contribution to the organization as well you know you can open 100 open up 100 jira tickets for a designer to make 100 different edits to your website into the product and at the end of the day the designers are just going to feel like they're closing out projects versus having deeper impact within the business mm-hmm. and i've always made a, a special effort to include designers in the uh, conversion rate optimization process and also uh, their impact to the revenue of the organization and their impact to uh, further down funnel that they wouldn't necessarily be able to see. Now, I'm not going to say that they need to be tied to specific metrics, for example, but it's just getting them closer and closer and closer. And a lot of this, just to, to break it all down at the end of the day, just comes down to communication. That's actually really interesting. You're talking about getting them at least some visibility into the metrics, right? Like yeah. I, I've been a part of um, doing some re- redesigns web page redesigns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the redesigns look fantastic. And they've actually led to, you know, better user experiences and the metrics have then improved in terms of what the what the users are doing on the site and how they're interacting. But that data never gets back to the to the designers. Which is and, so and unfortunate. It would be that would be so amazing to have things set up in such a way that the expectation is there within an organization that okay, this designer's spending a bunch of time to do this this nice redesign and to then follow up with them a couple months, a month, two months later to show them, hey, look, look at the impact that you actually had in terms of people coming to the site and how they're working, interacting with yep. the site. That would be really valuable. And, you know, I've got some clients that, that have that level of communication and some clients that do not. And, and there's a trend. For the clients that do have that level of communication, they outperform everybody else across the entire organization because mm-hmm. it's embedded in their culture, um, because they have the right leadership to make sure that um, the the in business impact that every individual contributor has is permeable across the organization. Whereas the folks, the companies that don't necessarily do it well, don't do it well across the board. And you see a heavy level of siloing and uh, a lot of inertia on having anything changed, on having any metrics set, on communication across the company, a communication across teams. Um, and it's really to the detriment of the organization. And uh, oftentimes those companies tend to be a little bit bigger, a little bit old school, a little bit 
excuse me, a little bit more around uh, keeping people on staff versus performance orientation, Mm -hmm. um, which is just, uh, I tend to be extremely performance oriented, right? Go, 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 kind of get shit done. What's really interesting is if you have one of those older conservative organizations that brings on some new leadership that tries to get the organization to shift. Oh, man. And to see that shift happening because, I mean, when you're talking about inertia earlier and organizational inertia, when you've got people that, that... have one way of working and they've been used to that and now you're asking them to, to kind of shift their to process. To move the barge. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, can be a, that can be a challenge. It's, it's a real challenge. Um, so it's, it's I, from what I can see, uh, it's, everybody seems to be moving in the right direction. It's taken 10 years for everybody to start drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, everybody wants to move in the, the right direction, um, but there is still kind of the good old boy network that, you know, maybe is resistant to change. Um, and, you know, that kind of goes hand in hand with things like, you know, what percentage of business is marketing bringing in? Some of these really classic examples of conversations that that companies are continuing to have um, around uh, this idea of, of a mental shift around approach to how a company is run. Um, so that's kind of the, the spiel on this. Uh, so where do we take it from here? Well, maybe the key takeaway from today was um, communication. Hundred percent. Right? And like, it's so cliche to say, "Hey, we need to communicate more. We need to talk talk more." But you got to do it. You got to do it because without without doing that, you're not going to get the right information. Information is not going to be disseminated. Yep. And but the other, I mean, even just talking about thinking about designers and yep. how providing feedback and information to them from metrics and the things that you're measuring. That to me was, was kind, it's of kind of a, like a relationship a insight, right? right? It's kind of like a relationship. It can't be one-sided. Communication has to be good. It has to be strong. Uh, everybody within the relationship needs to understand what value they bring to the relationship and needs to be rewarded for that in a variety of different ways. Um, because if there is a breakdown in communication in the relationship and that, that, that includes love life, that includes friendships, that includes network, et cetera. Uh, there's just going to be a breakdown overall in the performance of the relationship and you're going to continue to run into problems, right? And uh, communication, as as much as it's uh, valued, it's it's truly under-delivered and it's truly undervalued because people think it's just going to happen on its own and it's not. Sometimes you do have to have the difficult conversations and easy to say as a consultant, right? Because I can come in guns blazing and, and, you know, kind of say whatever I want. But most importantly, is it's it's about coming in and being effective. It's coming in and helping everybody understand the value that they provide in the organization and getting everybody involved that needs to be involved. Yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely. Bit. If you uh, haven't, tell us. If you have, tell us. <laughs> no matter what, tell us. Communicate. Communicate. That's the, that's to the theme. Us. That's the key. That's our that's our theme for today. Exactly. We want to hear from you no matter what. And overshare. Always like, overshare. Overshare. No. <laughs> Don't overshare. Don't overshare. You used the marketing voodoo there to suck me in on the overshare. Um, but t- tell us if you liked it. Tell us if you didn't like it. Tell us if you feel like uh, we can get more specific about something. Tell us if there's something you want us to talk about on the next episode. And you can reach out to us at questions at badmarketingmedia.com. That's questions at badmarketingmedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, uh, thank you very much. And try not to suck so much at marketing. Thanks, guys.